As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. I'm Alison Rudd, sitting in for the Easter bonnet decorating Gab Marcotti. Today we'll be talking about a seismic Premier League weekend. I'm joined in a packed, some might say stuffy, studio by James Scowcroft, James Gearbrandt and Julien Laurent. And um, it's a room full of Jameses because I do believe that uh, Julien is French for James, isn't it? No. I thought no, so. It's a good try. Uh, lots to munch through, whether preline filled or not, but we start at White Hart Lane. We're going to discuss Spurs' 4-0 demolition of Watford, which might seem like a one-sided discussion, but we will get on to what um, sort of season Watford have had and are having. But first of all, one of the reasons I really wanted to discuss this game, even though it was slightly one-sided, is because... I did an Easter egg hunt for some neighbours and uh, the little boy, he's eight and he's a Man United fan and he's going up to Old Trafford today for a tour. Um, But he started to really care about Spurs. And I said, if you were a young sports fan right now, no matter what your affiliations are, if you're young enough, you will be seduced by Spurs. There's something about the fact they have a lovely manager who's very smiley. They are a team that seem very united. They are, most of all, incredibly young. There are some great stats in today's game in a piece by Gary Jacob on just how phenomenal, the phenomenal level of progress that Delhi Ali has made. And depending on when you're listening to this, I mean, he's 21 on Tuesday. So, I mean, it is remarkable. But let's discuss that hypothesis that they are, at the moment, everyone's favourite other team. James Scowcroft looks cynical. Go on. Do you see where I'm going? I think with this? your eight-year-old friend, as soon as he walks out and sees a theatre of dreams, <laughs> will, uh, his soft spot for uh, Tottenham will uh, disappear overnight. Um, I, I think they're everyone's favourite second team because they haven't won the Premier League. I think maybe it's people like something new. We all loved Leicester last year. Listen, Tottenham are a great side, and I think if you look at their result at the weekend, they actually played very well. And had a lot of their key players missing as well. There's some uh, big players out. Uh, for me, the test for Tottenham is they couldn't handle it last year when the, the pressure was on and everyone thought, could they catch Leicester? And there was a time where you thought maybe they could and it didn't happen. There's no pressure on them at the moment. I'm just thinking, would it be a different story if they had pressure like the Champions League where they failed miserably this year? Is but that the acid that, yeah, test? That, that they, did, they did fail miserably in Europe. It was actually and quite. Em- it was quite embarrassing, and yeah. and but that's part of my point. It doesn't seem to matter what anomalies they throw up. 
There is something very arresting about their joie de vivre. Go on, Julian. I've said a French word, so you've got to... No, but I, th- I think they've had the most remarkable season. More than For me, their achievement, you know, if they keep going like this, and let's say finish second, is, is better than Chelsea, considering they played in Europe, which is an extra eight games compared to Chelsea. Considering their transfer window in the summer was not that great, if you look at Jensen and Sissoko, OK, Wanyama, great signing, but Jensen and Sissoko, two huge failures for them. So... And yet they're there and, and I think they've played some of the best football this season and, and, and I think they totally deserve that. If you think about it, best defence, again, third best attack, one goal score less than Chelsea, for example. Only three defeats, Chelsea have four, for example, and United have only three defeats as well. So they've, I think it's been remarkable and I think you can see the, the progression year after year and, and they had that deep in form, didn't they, at the end of October, November, where they, they draw four in a row, yeah. which cost them dearly now you can see that because if if they have just won one of those four for example or two even with a defeat and, a, and another draw they would be clearly competing with Chelsea for the title but that period is also because Pochettino makes them work so hard through the summer and at the start of the season that they will always have a deep and Dele Alli had a similar deep as well in, in terms of form at the end of November and beginning of December but I think they've been incredible this season. Let me just quote what it's actually probably not always a good idea to quote people for whom English is not there first language maybe Pochettino didn't mean it quite like this but I felt it was very telling he's Pochettino was talking about how he decided to be really lovely and nurturing of Ali after he got sent off in um, the Europa League and um, he said um, many people criticise me da, da, da. Uh, we were right to support him give him love when you are winning and you feel that to lose on the pitch is like losing your life that is all we want in a player which seems to me to possibly sum up what Pochettino does with those young players. If he sees that instinct in them, he'll bend over backwards to make sure that they can show that every week on the pitch. James, as someone young, do you get that? Do you get what that means? Well, I think one thing that really impresses me about Spurs, uh, whenever I see them, is there's that real sense of unity and cohesion in the squad. I think Watching Spurs more than watching any other team, you know, when they score a goal and they celebrate together, you get a real sense of of mates playing together. And maybe that is because they are, you know, they are quite young, you know, the likes of Ali and Dyer and Kane and so on. I know Ericsson is not maybe as young, but you do get that sense of, of mates playing together. And I think what that has contributed to is their resilience and adversity. There was a, a stat that since Pochettino has uh, since Pochettino joined Spurs, they've won more points from losing positions than any other team by some considerable margin, I think. And also, uh, I think that's shown if you look at their record without Harry Kane this season, he should be a talismanic figure, and, and of course he is. But in eight games without him, they're unbeaten. They've won five and drawn three. But Scowy, I mean, I think I agree with everything James just said there, and I'm calling you Scowy all the time Scowie. because there's too many, too many. I like Scowy though. No, sounds a bit more. Not. Sounds a bit more. Woolly back. You can call no. me what you want. Scary, <laughs> scary. Um, I, I agree with everything James just said, but as a coach, is that something you can create artificially? Or has Pochettino just got lucky that he's got a group of guys there who do feel like they're part of something more than just another football team? Well, no, I think James makes a good point. They're all at a, a young age and they sort of play in with that sort of no fear really the, the the more experience you get sometimes sometimes the more sort of fear you, you're more aware of what's going on the pressure for, for me Tottenham 
have been in, in, impressive in the last couple. This isn't this isn't a one-off. Is it? I thought they had a good season last year, although they they fell away. They still need to go to a Chelsea, an Arsenal, a United or City, and put in a big performance and a big win. I think that's the next test, and I'm not sure this team is really capable of it. Our very own Henry Winters pointed out that three of the last four PFA Young Players of the Year have been Spurs players. Um, Julien, do you fully expect this year's Young Player of the Year to come from White Hart Lane as well? Um, yeah, with Dele Alli being two Young Players of the Year, yeah, it would be, he, I guess, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, and 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 I think they, they you know, I think their their academy is good. They have very good, talented scouts that identify young talent if they're not already at the academy like Dele Alli I mean Dele Alli was very good at MK Dons although probably a bit inconsistent at the time because he was so young but I think it was quite clear for everybody to see that he was a special talent back then already but but in fairness you know Spurs won the race to sign him and, and credit to them but they've done that you know with, with a few very good young players as well so they deserve a lot of credit as Pochettino like Jameson you've said deserve credit for developing those young talent and improving them like I mean when I see Danny even Kyle Walker when I see him play now and, and he's far from the finished article because there's still a lot of things to improve especially defensively but Pochettino has transformed him you know I think and same with Danny Rose probably even more Danny Rose I think and and, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that he certainly has a great touch with young players he gives them a chance doesn't he which it's not just a chance, though, is it? Well, it is. The, ch- the chance is the them, biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. Because you can play them and they might not develop. Yeah, but 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 if you look at Chelsea, you look at Man City, they've got far, far stronger youth teams than what Tottenham have, but they don't get an opportunity where at Tottenham they do. And I think that's credit to, to Pochettino that when he does see an opening, um, they've used the Europa League very well in the last few seasons to give their youngsters a chance, but he, he will put them in and he's not frightened to know you know, I know Deli Ali hasn't come through their academy, but Harry Winks, Josh Onomo is a very good player coming through. Harry Kane was a, a prime example, really, where he just came from nowhere and all of a sudden he's one of the best strikers in uh, in Europe, really. So I think that's credit to Pochettino, what he's done with, with young players, similar to Ferguson in his day. Just the two things on Deli Ali. First one, can we please stop comparing comparing with Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard and Paul I didn't Scholes? do that, Julie. Not you, but people in general in this country that. love a comparison. Can we please stop it? Deli Ali. He's not playing like Steven Gerrard. Are you or trying to say? Is what you're trying to say? He is what he is. Is that yeah, what you're and trying if you to say? You don't think okay. that he's okay. playing like some. At least, if you want to compare, compare with players who played like him before. And if you don't think anyone played like him before, just don't compare them because yeah. it's stupid to compare with poor scores. Anyway, second point. I saw Hugo Lloris before the Euros last season. And he said to me, "Do you like Dele Ali?" I said, "Yeah, I really like him." He said, "You've seen nothing yet." You've seen nothing because next season and the seasons after is going to be even better than what you've seen this season. Uh, a word on, as promised, on Watford. Um, there seems to be general consensus we might not see Walter Mazzari next season and he's dared to annoy Troy Deeney by keeping him on the bench till the 70th minute at White Hart Lane. I think part of the problem with Mazzari is that he doesn't speak English. Again, it's a good comparison because Pochettino wouldn't speak English when he was at Southampton and yet somehow managed to convey what he was really about and thinking and what his philosophy was and what sort of personality he was. And I felt you did get to know him, even though he didn't speak in English. Whereas there's an aura about Mazzari that makes it look like he's quite contained and he's probably accepting that he's not there for the long haul, which I don't think, even though most managers are not, they should act like they are. But, you know... Can you blame Watford's owners because they seem to have struck a way of just making sure they don't get into trouble anymore in the Premier League? 
Scoey, do you do you agree with that little summation? I think when a manager doesn't uh, speak English, if he's not um, performing well, that's always going to catch up with him, isn't it? I think you have to make a real intent to, to learn the language there. It, for me, Watford just seems a club that on some levels work you know I'm looking at the table now the 10th 37 points uh, well clear of relegation not going to go down which is the biggest box that's ticked but it just seems a club that's that's controlled at the top not at managerial level and uh, I think uh, if you last over a year at Watford as a manager you've done quite well Any love for Watford? No No this, <laughs> Leaving Dini and Capo on the bench makes no sense I yeah well, show a strength. I think so. He's, he's playing well in training. He said he's trying to yeah. prove a point there, isn't he? Yeah, but I mean, I don't know if you. I, I know if, for fans didn't have to travel a lot far to go to Spurs, but if you're a fan and your captain is on the bench for no reason, it's not like even you were resting him for a huge game the following, you know, four days later or something. I would be really cross. The other James said that um, they're safe, but. Just just say 38 points or 39 are what will give you safety this season. Do they not look like a team, Watford, who could go on that unthinkable, not get another point? Plummet towards relegation. Oh, yeah. um, I think uh, I think it's unlikely, to be honest, although it is close down there and the, the mm. margin in terms of points is not necessarily as big as you might think it would be in terms of position. But I think Watford are probably safe. And I, I'm going to give Watford a little bit of credit because I think what they've done, which I think is quite kind of remarkable, is they've really overturned the traditional kind of orthodoxy on how, you know, a club is supposed to come up from, from the second tier and stay in the in the top flight and, and quite comfortably at that, in, certainly in their first season. You know, they um, had a very high turnover of players, certainly from their promotion season to the Premier League season. And then again, to probably a slightly lesser extent, between these two uh, seasons, I've had a high turnover of managers. Uh, Jokanovic took them up, and then Kike Sanchez Flores did, to most people's judgment, very good job last year. And then they, you know, let him go as well. Mazar is in charge, but it's not clear whether he will stay. So they don't have any of the sort of continuity that people usually think of as being necessary to kind of establish a club in the top flight. But I think at the moment, I mean. They're tenth. They're in the top half. I mean, you'd have to say they're they're probably slightly overachieving. Certainly to most people's expectations. Certainly to mine. Right to West Ham's narrow defeat of Swansea. This was billed as bigger than the Masters or something. It was. It was. There was a lot of hype around this game, and I was there. And it was a classic case of more hype than substance. I've seen both teams play uh, 3,000% better than they played on Saturday. I felt I was in some sort of, um, I don't know, George Orwell world because everyone kept banging on about how the fans were really going to help West Ham get out of their terrible predicament. They were looking at a possible sixth successive defeat and the West Ham board had said that is unacceptable. So I was thinking, oh my God, we might see Slaven Bilic booted out today it could be all but they're saying no the fans will get behind us it's going to be amazing the atmosphere was pretty limp really it wasn't great and West Ham won by virtue of being slightly less dreadful than Swansea in my report in the game I focused on the fact that just by virtue of one goal West Ham are now targeting a top half of the table finish crisis over so 
James Gearbrandt, is the crisis over for West Ham? I don't know if the crisis is over. You would say that they, you know, they still need a bit more to be to be absolutely certain of uh, of avoiding relegation. West Ham has been a, a very strange season. I mean, the last time I watched West Ham was when they won three one at Southampton, and that was something like you know their third win in four games, and it took them up to ninth. They looked all set for another very good season, and since then they've plummeted. One thing that is slightly worrying to me about Slaven Bilic and, and West Ham is they win and lose games in real streaks. It's a little bit, to me, a little bit reminiscent of, of Alan Pardew at Crystal Palace, or, or in, in, you know, in the kind of way they will have like an awful run and then they will take one performance to turn it around, then they'll have a good run and then suddenly they'll be back on a poor run. Um, you never know quite what you're going to get. But overall, I think West Ham are doing okay this season they're 14th they you know lost Dimitri Payet you know if you'd said last season when Payet was so influential where might they be without Payet they had him up until uh, January but you would probably have said he wasn't really there was he He wasn't really well quite you would probably have said like maybe around around there so I don't know I'm not inclined to judge Bilic that harshly as I know as I know some people are he's hard to dislike He's so engaging. And he's one of those managers that will answer every question properly and not sort of get cross if he doesn't like what you're asking. But the streakiness is interesting, Goey. Last season, it was they were building up to a Champions League finish, for goodness sake. Then the start of this season, they were Second dreadful. side is one key element. Um, so if you look at the side they had last year, I'm pretty certain it was a lot more settled than what it was this year. You have your, your star player is desperate to get out of the club. Your second star player is injured half the time. So yeah, there's no stability within the side there, which I think they've massively uh, lacked this season. They've had new players come in. I think Jose Fonte hasn't really been the player that they, they thought they were getting. I don't think he's had a... Who did they a, think they were getting? Uh, I think they thought they were going to get... Uh, Virgil van Dijk, is that who they thought no, they were getting? No, I think they thought they were going to get... Uh, Fonte's been a fantastic player for Southampton, but for whatever reason hasn't settled at West Ham. I think they'll limp over the line. Uh, it's a massive result for them at the weekend because not only did they win, but Swansea would have sort of crept up closer to them as well. I think they'll limp over the line. I think next season's a big uh, season for Billich. I think he needs to uh, get it going in the opposite direction. If not, he won't be there. Julian, do you think Billich will be there next season? I hope he is. I really like him. I really, really like him. I don't know, there's something about him I like, but but I think Scurry is right. There's, he's made mistakes, I think, this season. Defensively, they were awful for most of the first part of the season when they were really struggling and I think that, you know that I know James Collins doesn't help you when you know although he played really well at, I think at the weekend but, but he actually it, played really well against yeah, Arsenal yeah, as well yeah yeah that's true but it's, you know I think that they lacked a bit of quality defensively that's why they went and got Fonte even if he maybe hasn't delivered yet what they wanted from him but I think he's made mistakes and I can see as well I mean the owners of the club are typically the kind of owners who thought after last season that's it you know, that's it. We, you know, we're going to, every year, we're going to finish fifth or try to get into the top four. I don't think they saw last year as, okay, maybe we really overachieved. And I think they're disappointed now that they're not doing it as, as well as last season. And they I think... They well this season, did they? I think they massively no, underestimated going into the new stadium. I thought they thought that would, would kick them on. I think they've tried to do things on the cheap, basically. And I, and I think it's got them in a little bit of a... A mess that Saturday's result got them out of actually. I saw them recently when they played Leicester at home, and it was the whole set. It was the first visit um, 
to a West Ham first team going to Olympic Stadium, I just thought this is just... It's a new era, but they were so behind what everything West Ham was starting for. It's, it's a new start, and I just think they've totally underestimated the move, the 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 way the fans have sort of been negative against it. And I think it'll take them a while to, to get everybody going in the right direction again. So presumably, James, the answer would be to stick with Village and get that continuity we've already decided on the podcast is important and spend money learn how to I mean there's no point bringing in a new manager who has to learn all over again how to cope with the Olympic Stadium for example is there I mean I agree I like Bilic as everyone else has has already said and and my instinct would certainly be to keep him I don't think he's done so badly that he deserves to be sacked by any means what is arguably quite unfortunate for Bilic is that and and will probably be quite worrying him in his private moments is that this season in, in general is a season where clubs have been vindicated for changing manager most of the clubs that have changed manager were not quite were, were in a more parlous situation than West Ham are now but you know it's a it's a season that for whatever reason has really shown that if you change manager very often you will be rewarded I mean you look at Leicester you look at Hull Swansea I know the effect has tailed off but but even them to a certain extent a Palace with Allardyce as I say, West Ham are not doing as badly as any of those clubs are, but I just think that the effect, nonetheless, has been has been quite amply demonstrated. Well, thank you for mentioning Swansea because that allows us to move there, and in fact, that's the theme with Swansea, isn't it? They look like they had jettisoned Bob Bradley in time. Paul Clement comes in loses his first game in charge against Arsenal badly but hey we'll forgive him that because new team and everything and then suddenly they look like you know they can beat Liverpool they can beat anybody you're reminded that the Swansea have a tradition of passing football and they let that build their confidence and uh, they have the league's most beautiful player in Gylfi Sigurdsson what could possibly go wrong and their new manager bounce is over and after the game on Saturday I think Paul Clement used the word anxiety 64 times, possibly. Because that's the only thing he could think of why they played so badly. They were very anxious. So obviously we asked him, what do you do to get rid of the anxiety? And he didn't know. He did say, I don't believe in sports psychologists. Doesn't think that's the answer. He thinks the answer lies on the training ground. So what do we... I think that comes from someone that hasn't played the game and doesn't have the experience. I think... The mental side of football is what gets you over the line, and that line could be three points, it could be survival. I just think that's a very naive statement. If he so if Clement phones you up and says, eek, what do I do? You would say, what? What should he do? What sort of psychological help would you give a team in that situation? Well, it's all about belief, isn't it? You, you look at a team that's full of confidence and they'll most likely be going towards the top of the league. You look at the... You look at Sunderland, you take Sunderland as a prime example. They look, I watched them yesterday, devout of any confidence whatsoever, and I've been there myself as a player. So to come out of that statement saying that psychology in football is not really uh, an issue, it's all about what you do on the training ground, is absolute nonsense. Maybe if you start by starting from the Llorente on Saturday in a game of that importance... Ah, oh, but I saw how bad Llorente was when he did come on. Well, yeah, maybe, but... It, that doesn't mean it would have been bad if he'd started the game. I just don't understand why you had something that was working with him. Clearly, he got you a lot of points since you've taken over and then you drop him for that game. He's not been fit in training. Yeah, no, I know, but it's still... 
he's still better than Jordan Ayew. I mean, uh, you know, Ayew playing against his brother, well, great story, but Llorente is far <laughs> better than Ayew and far more useful to, in an away game, I think, especially. And I think him and Gilfe are great together. I don't know. I, I was surprised he, he left him on the bench, even if he was not 100% fair. Yeah. Because I think in a game, I mean, in all those games now, you just can't afford not to have your best players, even not 100% on the pitch. What do we think has happened? Because every manager comes in and has their tweaks on how you train and their rules and regulations and how they speak to players. And it clearly worked. I suspect part of it, unfortunately, from Swansea's perspective, might simply be that he wasn't American. And they were just all relieved that Bradley, which was an experiment that didn't work, had gone. I have heard the players just... They didn't down tools, but they were slightly mystified by his approach. Clement comes in, far more straightforward, more like speaking their language, if you like, but he's not been able to maintain it for very long at all. So what what do we think has gone wrong? I think the Spurs defeat was a huge blow. I think that they thought they were going to win that game and those three points would have been Why incredible. would you think you're going to beat Spurs? Though? Because it's the 89th minute and you're 1-0 up and you're at home and, and you know, although you're under pressure, but there's, there's still, there's three minutes of fighting and then you, you, you're there. And I think losing in the way they did, although they were probably not the best team on the day, losing the way they did in the last few but minutes. But they were like not that, good going into that game no but but if you win that it could, that could be the turning point instead you think you're about to win it and instead you get battered in the last four minutes you go from okay this is like I said maybe a turning point and suddenly you're okay we're still where we were before I think those four minutes could have made a huge difference well, that's really the cle- isn't that the clever part of management that somehow you twist that into saying come on we were so good for 90 minutes let's, let's, let's make sure we defeat I'm West sure Ham the next rubbish. morning when they went to training the next morning I've been relegated from the Premier League twice and that has happened to me so often where you concede late goals and you go from winning positions to losing positions and what happens, it's a knock-on effect for individuals, for the team, the crowd so all of a sudden you get to 75-80 minutes and you you start defending deep and there's a few misplaced passes, everyone's gasping and moaning and, and, and I just think it's it's a, a cycle that you get into and Swansea are back in it unfortunately and they need to, to dig themselves out because at this moment in time I would say at the bottom it's basically out of Swansea Hollow Palace isn't it I would say Swansea look the favourites to go down I think one of Swansea's big problems is they don't really have any any really reliable centre backs and I know I'm being a bit harsh there but um, you know for all Alfie Mawson's improvements this season and, and his his eye for goal he's not really he has a lot of rawness to his game he's not a kind of ultra solid reliable centre-back that you can run week in week out in the Premier League Fernandez, for a player of his pedigree has never really quite lived up to what he maybe should be in the Premier League Jordi Amat is a bit of a liability um, they've got Van der Horn as well but I mean they don't really have they are weak in that position, I think. And if you look at the, the amount of goals they've conceded, I mean, it's it's the most by a long way. And I, I think, you know, there are various stats flying around that teams that have conceded that number of goals at this stage of the season do not stay up. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And so to our debate. They can't all finish in the top four. So let's discuss who needs it most. Or, indeed, put it the other way, who will suffer least by not qualifying for next season's Champions League. Uh, this isn't quite as, as stupid as it sounds. We all know they all want to be there. And the fans will be devastated and the managers will be cross and the owners will be peeved. But there are six, maybe seven teams who really think they've got enough class and history and spent enough money to qualify for the Champions League. Let's assume we don't have to talk about Chelsea and Tottenham. Let's talk, first of all, about Liverpool. How bad would it be for Jurgen Klopp, given he came to these shores as an enigmatic miracle worker. He's had no diversions this season. They score for fun. Surely they have to be in the Champions League next season, don't they, James Gearbrand? I think it, it would be a big blow for Liverpool to... But bigger than anyone else? Uh, We're going to have to rate them at the end. Well, uh, put it this way. I think at the start of the season, if you'd said Liverpool would qualify for the Champions League... To me, that would be, I don't, know if, I don't know if I would say an overachievement, but to me, that would be a really good achievement for Jurgen Klopp. That would be a real tangible sign of progress from his first season. They've not really got as good a squad as, as some of the other teams competing for the Champions League places. They don't, certainly don't have the depth of some of their rivals. But I just think psychologically now, they've been in the box seat for a top four place for a while. It's very, like they've had it within their grasp. And I think psychologically now to slip out of the top four would be a real crushing blow. It would also, presumably, Julian, it would mean that their bench would look even more rubbish next season. I mean, how are they going to attract... Sometimes I look at Liverpool's bench and I think, well, that's... I don't know how they are in the top four. I know. And and, and if you look at Julian Draxler, who chose PSG over Liverpool in January, if you look at Mo Dahoud, who's one of the most promising players in the Bundesliga, who decided to go to Dortmund at the end of the season instead of, again, rejected Liverpool in in, in a way, to go to Dortmund, shows you that already now, when they can finish top four and qualify for the Champions League season, they're already struggling to attract the players they want. 
if there's no Champions League next season, they might love club, they might love the idea of playing for Liverpool and the stadium and the fans and and some great players in that team, but they might think, I want to play Champions League football and you couldn't blame them for that as well. So I think that it would be a huge blow in terms of, again, f- for the standing of the club and how big the club is. You just can't have those years without Champions League. But but like you said, for the future as well, to recruit players and to keep hold of your Coutinho. I mean, Coutinho is not going to stay there forever if there's no Champions League football at some point. And, and Firmino, you could think, might feel exactly the same and same with other stars in, in this team. So I think it's Yeah, it's I, think Lala, I think Lalana went to Anfield yeah. for, for European football, didn't he? And, and, and I think it's crucial for, more for them than for everybody else, I think, in that fight to finish in the top four. Scary, do you, did you feel that the way they um, came back against Stoke, which is not something Liverpool do very often, actually, uh, they usually struggle if it's not going well there, shows that they know they're in a fight for top four they're prepared to well they're in the top four aren't they they're they're, they're third and I think it's a massive win uh, especially coming from behind away from home against Stoke it's not not easy I think it's probably a win that will get them into the top four really Uh, you know they can score goals their running isn't too bad Uh, the next three games are West Brom Palace Watford so all three games there are more than winnable I think Liverpool will get in. The two top teams it will hurt the most, do you want my answer? Give me the one you think it will hurt the most. We'll move on to that one. Um, both the Manchester clubs. It will hurt United. Probably, it will probably hurt City the most. I agree. The I agree it would hurt City the most. So let's let's talk about City. Go on, why, why do you think? Why would you um, Well, I think City? if you look at United last year, they, they proved the myth of, oh, God, if you're not in the Champions League, you can't do this. That, that. You know, Manchester United recorded a world record turnover last year not being in the Champions League financially it's not it's a blow but it's not that big a blow if compared to the, the Premier League revenues that the clubs get in this country so I just think Manchester City is all based on this Pep Guardiola coming over and, and winning the Champions League and this fairy tale for them not to be in it would be a, a big blow blow to Pep Guardiola or to just a blow to the whole club it'd be really interesting to see what it would do to, to Guardiola personally to his own kind of confidence in his own methods because having had an almost unbroken run of success in his managerial career certainly in terms of his league finishes you know it's been first 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 second first 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 to suddenly go and finish fifth would be a real kind of like or sixth or you know perish the thought sixth I was in Manchester last week and my city supporting taxi driver said um we don't mind we don't mind if we don't make top four because we can see what Pep's trying to do. He's yeah. he's building a long-term project. He'll get loads of money, and he will. He'll get lots of money to spend in the summer. He'll bring in players that suit his model and his system. They can't, though, can they? Because financial fair play will always... Manchester United turn over £200 million more than Man City, so the United will always have that financial clout now that, that City won't due to financial fair play. But he's not going to get sacked, and he's not going to be backed in the market by his owners. He's preparing the ground for that. So you could perversely argue in terms of implications over the summer of not making it into the Champions League would hurt him the least on a personal level. I think The vibe takes, is he's going to be given time to build. Yeah, he will. But I think he takes everything so personally and so intensely that he will feel really, really bad, I think, if they don't finish in the top four. And like James said, if he finished fifth or sixth, it's a proper humiliation. I think for him not to go through in the Champions League already to the quarterfinals was something like, 
well, for the first time in his career, was like, wow, okay. If they, after that, were to finish sixth in the Premier League, even for his first season, even, you know, discovering the new league, etc., I think it would be a, an absolute disgrace for a club like City with the money they've spent already for the squad they have. They should finish top four every single day, especially with a manager like Pep. But your taxi driver friend, I'm sorry, but... It's He's they're not the my only friend. team. No, I know, but the only club, the only club, the only team in the whole of the Premier League not to have kept at least once the same starting eleven is something from. Uh, where is that coming from? Changing the team every single game. I don't understand how you expect to have great results if you keep twisting and changing and doing new things and thinking you're clever by moving him there and what about Zabaleta as a number six yeah yeah what, what about Yaya Torre as a goalkeeper maybe it's just <laughs> I, I don't understand and then if you finish six and turn and say yeah but it's okay because we don't need Champions League we don't need this I don't know I would find that incredible yeah I think that the point is that you can talk about you know the project that Pep is building the long-term view but I mean, it's a hypothetical situation, obviously, but were they to finish fifth or sixth, surely that undermines faith in the whole project, even for a coach of Guardiola's incredibly sort of like vaunted reputation. To finish fifth this season with that squad, I mean, that's got to kind of have people thinking a little bit. Oh, oh but he's on, been very sure. clever because he's taken players like Aguero and said, oh, they're not, they're not quite, not quite good enough. He had 18 months to, to think about his squad and to build the squad. Kevin De Bruyne was brought because Pep said, yeah, yeah, I fancy him. Leroy Sané was brought in the summer because it was Pep's choice. So he had a long time to think about his squad. So I don't get the idea of, yeah, but look at the squad he got. And it would be a huge failure for me if they don't finish in that top four. And even if they finish fourth, I think that would be not a very good season. I, sus- I suspect up. if they don't finish in the top four, it'll be people like us who are appalled and surprised and aghast. But within the walls of City they'll cope Gabriel called it at the start of the season just for that reason they they have to finish in the top four otherwise we'll hear it for the next ten years and what about Mourinho will his ego cope okay not finishing in the top four I suppose it's it's complicated at United because they could win quite a lot of silverware and finish outside the horribly wrong or or all come together for Mourinho and if he does win the Europa League and the League Cup in his first season then it's some statement as well. I just, I think it'd be a massive blow for United because this is now getting a regular occurrence, not finishing in the top four. And at some stage, that that trend has got to to break. But I just think as a club, they can still pull in like a Pogba they did last season. They can still go out and buy the top players. And how do we all feel about the club spokesman being Zlatan these days? And you know, he when he was goes, in France, he would never ever talk. Or very rarely, but never stop in the mix zone. Never do TV interviews after the games. And here, every time I turn my TV on, he's there, <laughs> and it's just like wow, it's crazy. And and you know, even in France, he could have done. He didn't have to do it in French. In English, would have been fine. But no, he always refused. Oh, that's interesting. So, do you think the club are asking him to speak? Do they think he's a wonderful? face to put forward maybe that's I, I, I don't know exactly what they do but United historically are a club where it's very difficult to get you know interviews and players to talk and you see Paul Pogba has hardly done anything this season apart from maybe a couple of, of uh, TV interviews 
But for Zlatan, clearly, I don't know. He feel, and, and maybe he feels so vindicated by the fact that before coming here, everybody was saying like, oh, he's too old and it's so easy to score goals in France and in Italy that he will never do it on a Tuesday night, Stoke, blah, 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 all that rubbish, that he feels so happy by, by his season. And rightly so. I think if I was him, I would, I would talk even more to remind people that they doubted him and he proved everybody wrong. But yeah. Is it, uh, is it, too, too, is it too cynical to suggest that when Zlatan speaks... United sell more merchandise. He's a money-making figurehead. I think when he scores, they sell more merchandise. It's, it all comes together, doesn't it? If he scores, he speaks, they sell. Yeah, that, that's what Manchester United's all about, isn't it? It's about the revenue streams and iconic players. And to be fair to him, he's, he's carried it off very well this year, hasn't he? The run of fixtures that United have is by far and United by ahead, finishing the top four. The most difficult when no they have chance. to play... Chelsea Obviously, City, next. Chelsea, and Spurs, and let's go to Arsenal. They have to go yeah. to Tottenham. They have to go to Man City. City. They've got Chelsea at home. It, it's it's a crazy run yeah. of fixtures compared to the others as well yeah. in that race. Plus, the so Europa he may as well prioritise the Europa League. Yeah? Yeah. yeah, but I don't know how. If you were him, would you? I think I think he I think you'll see it. They've got Anderlecht on Thursday. I think you'll see a very very strong Manchester United side. But what, and not next weekend then. Or you try to do the strongest. No, I think, I think he'll, week, he'll, game. he'll work backwards. I think the Europa League will come as a priority now. If you look at the Europa League, the teams in it, you know, Manchester United are the standout favourites. So you get into the semi finals, you're only three games from winning it, really. So that'll be close and that will be the best option for him. Um, and I just think he'll get to a point in the league where the, the problem with Manchester United and Mourinho. You can't go to Man City away and play a weakened side. You can't. It, it's it's Manchester United. It's it's Marino. It's Chelsea's at home as well. I'm sure he'd love to beat Chelsea at Old Trafford, but the fixture list for United is ridiculous. Right, we don't need to spend too long on Arsenal because I think we discussed on the podcast many times that Wenger has never failed to make the top four. So you could make a case that that is the most seismic outcome longer term. Hours about Arsenal. Oh, let's not bother then. Okay, so in, <laughs> I think it divides up into which manager would suffer the most in terms of reputation, which club would suffer the most. I think Pep would suffer the most in terms of reputation. I think Liverpool would suffer the most in terms of what it means longer term in attracting players, and they need them more than anyone else. Sounds like United are going to cope quite well. Arsenal will just be a different club altogether next season if they don't finish and but a lot of people say that's a good thing let's go to quick hits so chaps nice succinct answers please i don't do sound effects to chivvy you along because i know that you are uh, very obedient on this section of the show diego costa was reasonably unimpressive against bournemouth scoey why does antonio conte indulge him so well, i think he's a key figure isn't he, he he's he hasn't been a standout player for Chelsea this year, but I think if you take him out of their team, you lose a lot of what Chelsea are good about. Still scored 17 goals so far in the Premier League, probably on target to score 20 goals. Um, but maybe his future is away from the bridge. Who knows? I think it probably is. Sunderland lose again and have now gone over 11 hours without a Premier League goal. Any hope at all for the Black Cats, James Gearbrandt? Uh, well, I was asked this question about three weeks ago and I said no hope then, so I, I, don't think I, <laughs> I can't really change my tune now based on the yeah. recent events. I continue to be um, slightly surprised that I, I think David Moyes has got, I mean, leave the whole 
recent controversy aside, I think David Moyes has got a surprisingly easy ride this year. Everyone just sort of seems to expect it from... As I know, maybe everyone kind of thinks that, you know, Sunderland was, you know, a job that he shouldn't have taken in the first place. For, for someone who had, you know, a very, very good managerial reputation before Manchester United, I was sort of fully expecting him to kind of rehabilitate it to some extent at Sunderland. And, and I've continued to be surprised by just how awful they are. I think part of the reason he's been given a relatively easy ride is because everyone knows the owner likes him. And if you know there's no sniff of a sacking, you sort of just think, oh, well, can't be bothered. Hull veer from brave to insipid. Is it just a case of Marco Silva still finding his feet in the Premier League, Julian? Yeah, yes and no. I think I think the home form was always going to be uh, the key in their fight against relegation, and I think they've, they've done that really well. And 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 I'm I'm a huge fan, as listeners will know, of of Marco Silva and his home record over the last three seasons or four seasons is is incredible because he's still unbeaten. And, and and again, I think until the end of the season, if they pick the points at home, they should be okay. But the the games are coming, you know, Stoke away and Watford at home and Southampton away the next three will be so important and, and they need to, to keep playing like they did at the weekend. Scoey, Claude Puel has not been overly popular on the South Coast, but he's at least made sure his team are not coasting, see what I did there, out the end of the season. I put dot, dot, dot. That means you fill in. Yeah, you hear rumours that he hasn't been popular. Obviously, I haven't seen enough of Southampton week in and week out to, to find out why. They're, they're ninth in the league, 40 points. <clears throat> not quite sure where their sort of expectations were to, but not sure he could have done a lot more. It's been a good week for them, they? An excellent home result against Palace and then a wonderful away win at West Brom. So I can't really see. There's a lot more managers that are under a lot more pressure than Mr Poyal, Julian's mate. What, why is he not popular? No, he just, he's just not made that connection with a lot of supporters a lot of okay. French people have that problem <laughs> is it because he's too introvert or something compared to I don't know Posh for example because he oh, is he the, the, the language part, buyer part, part, partly his personality he's got a, a lot of cold, goals have they especially and at partly home, his decisions been. on who he plays and the yeah. style and lack of goals as James says Middlesbrough have contributed if nothing else an amazing seven goalless draws this season is that why JG do you like being called JG? JG. It's acceptable. JG. No one will care if they're relegated. Um, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> they uh, they haven't really won the neutrals over. I must say the worst game I've watched all season was was one of those when they drew 0-0 against West Brom. That was a terrible, terrible game. Um, look, when when uh, Middlesbrough came up, I was sort of quite excited about them. You know, you look on paper, they had some good players. You know, you've got... Ramirez, um, Stuani, and then obviously they bought some good players in the summer, like Negredo. It just it hasn't really happened for them. I, I don't know, like, I, I mean, I don't think it's any more noble to be, you know, for example, Swansea, who have scored a lot more goals than Middlesbrough, but also conceded. You know, you just have to find you have to find a balance, don't you? You have to find a way of winning enough games to stay up, and, and they haven't done it, and I, I don't think they are going to stay up. I look at the League One table in France and see Monaco have a goal difference, talking of goal difference, of 62, having scored 88 goals. Mm. Julien, they must be everyone's second team in France. You, oui, non? Oui, no. You, you cannot not like them. They've been so good all season, so attacking, so sexy to watch and all those goals and Falcao and Mbappe and 
But Le are Mans. they popular in France? They are popular, yeah. and, and and rightly so. And because, you, like I said, you can only be seduced by, by the talent that is there. And the way they play as well is fantastic. I mean, I, I love them, but not as much as PSG, obviously. And I still hope that PSG will win the title, but it's a great title race. We will win it. That we have PSG every day. Do you think? Three points, seven games to go. Monaco have to go to Lyon, for example, which is not going to be an easy game. It's going to be fantastic. And it's going to be really like... Because the goal difference, as you said, is an extra point. So, so they can afford to points. lose one game. They can afford to lose one game, indeed. And PSG have to win everything. So, we'll see. We'll see. Ali, one for you. David Moyes is, as we speak on Monday morning, letting the FA know why he spoke as he did to BBC reporter Vicky Sparks. But what was your reaction to the Sunderland manager's post-match comments? Um, well, this is a game podcast exclusive because I turned down all requests to comment on this from other outlets. Um, I won't bore you with the reasons why. You can probably guess. Um, but what I would say is I thought the comments were creepy, most of all, and patronising. But the point I'd like to make is I really think it ought to have been up to Vicky Sparks to decide whether this was in the public domain, whether we were all discussing it. It was leaked from a colleague at the BBC, as far as I'm, I can make, make out. And it's to become public property for an off-the-record, off-camera comment when you're doing your job is it's out of line for this to become. It might it might make her career very difficult. And the next time you see her on the telly, it'll be, oh, that's Vicky Sparks. Isn't she the one that dot dot dot? It's up to it's up to the person who was slighted or didn't feel slighted to make it an issue, not for the rest of us to pontificate and decide. Because he didn't say it on camera. It was between him and her, and it was just a fact of the way technology works that it was recorded. And she wasn't offended, was she? I don't know. But she, the fact is she doesn't really want to talk about yeah. it, and she didn't complain and make... It's not, this doesn't come from her. This has come from someone else being angry on her behalf. But I, if it was me, I would be absolutely furious if one of my colleagues decided that a slight delivered to me after a game but caught on a tape recorder was then released into the public domain. It's up to me to decide if you all get angry about that or not. That's it for now. Many thanks to my guests today, James Scowcroft, James Gearbrandt and James Laron. Remember, it's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search The Times online. And please press that subscribe button on wherever you choose to download your podcasts and leave a witty review on iTunes if you're listening on an Apple device. The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rustolium.